Good morning. Everybody good? All right, I want to I just give you some updates and kind of let you know where we are, what's going on, what's happening um, here at First Baptist Church. If, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we're running out of room in the basement, um, which is a great thing. That's a great problem. Um, what, what I interpret that to mean is that the Lord is moving among us, that he is... Um, that he is loving on us, that he is growing us and stretching us, and he is molding us to be the men and women that he has called us to be. So over the next couple weeks, we've met as a, uh, a few of our teens have met together, and they're going to meet again together, and um, there's a lot of meeting going on, and at, hopefully at the end of it, we're going to be moved out of here uh, within, I don't know, maybe month, month and a half, looking towards moving into the gym um, just because we're growing. And uh, what I believe that means uh, and what I will trust that to mean is that the gospel is taking root in our hearts together. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open with me to the book of Ruth, chapter 3. Have you guys been enjoying going through the book of Ruth, studying the book of Ruth? It has been refreshing for me to be able to look at this romance and love story and just kind of pick it apart and dance with it a little bit. And Did anybody read on from last week? Anybody read chapter 3? Anybody go ahead? and I mean, You don't have to raise your hand, but if you did, you might have thought, man, that seems a little saucy. And that's the word I'm going to use this morning. If you read Ruth chapter 3, the, the relationship between Boaz and Ruth gets to a place where the only word I really know to use is, it gets a little saucy. It's, uh, it's in the middle of the night, and there's some covers, and it's just, it's saucy. So we're going to read this together, and I believe we're going to come to a conclusion. Check this out. Track with me. I believe we're going to come to a conclusion where at the end of chapter 3, together we're going to see how in the book of Ruth that there was passion, there was purity, and we're going to get to see the prevailing grace of God. When I was studying this this week, and, and I read the chapter over and over and over, and every time I read it, the only thing I could, I, I could come to even think about um, relating to the way I felt is every time I read it, it felt like grace, the grace of God was just seeping up from the pages. I mean, it, have you ever read anything in Scripture before? You read your favorite verse, or somebody came along and gave you the right word at the right time, or gave you the right verse at the right time, and it's just like the grace of God just seeped up from the page. And saturated your life. This morning I hope that we can do this together in Ruth chapter 3. So if you're there, we're just going to get after it. Ruth chapter 3 verse 1. We're going to go verse by verse. And um, it's going to be great. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that, I'm be, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young men you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. I told you it was going to get saucy, all right? Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Just a quick show of hands. Who uh, ha have not been here for the first two sermons in the series? Anybody visiting with us? Cool. Put your hands down. All right. Just to catch you up to speed. I mean, I just, real quick. All right. To catch you up to speed, Ruth chapter 1, Elimelech, Naomi, Orpah, Malon, and Shilion were in Moab. All right, for those of you that haven't been able to track with us, they were in Moab, and Elimelech, Malon, and Shilion die in the midst of a famine. 
So Ruth's husband and her father-in-law, Naomi's husband, they die. And they walk through a 10-year famine, 10-year just desolation, right? They're walking through this, this terrible time. But somehow message gets to Naomi that God has broke the famine. And in Bethlehem, where Naomi's from, there is bread again. There is a barley harvest. And at the end of chapter 1, we see... Um, Naomi, well, Elimelech, Malon, Shilion die. Orpah goes back to Moab. But Ruth and Naomi go back to Bethlehem. So at the end of chapter 1, you see Ruth and Naomi coming back into Bethlehem. And Naomi's bitter. Naomi's broken and she's bitter. She's lost her husband. She's lost her sons. And she's wrestling with God. But we talked in, in week one of this series that even when there is distress and even when there is turmoil, even there, when there is wrestling in the darkness... There's always a harvest on the way. There is always hope. There is always light breaking through the darkest clouds. And we get that, right? We, I mean, if you've, you've been in Georgia for the last month, there's been nothing but clouds and rain and thunderstorm. How good does it feel those moments at 3 o'clock in the afternoon where you're like, it looks like midnight and all of a sudden the sun bursts through the clouds. You're like, yes, finally. We're not in Seattle anymore. You know what I'm saying? We're, we're in Georgia again. Well, that time's... Infinity, right, is, is the grace and glory that we get to see in verse, in chapter 1, where they, they're walking out of desolation, they're walking out of abandonment, and they're walking back into Bethlehem, which is in Hebrew we said the house of bread. They're walking out of famine into feasting. And that's what the Lord does for us. And then chapter 2, we talked about, um, we met Boaz for the first time. Remember, uh, there was a guy came riding up on his horse or camel or however they rocked it back then. And he, he comes riding in and Ruth is, she's gleaning in the field. She's picking up the leftovers. And remember we said last week that Bo, she kind of caught Boaz's eye and he's like, hey, who's that? You know, who's that, who's that girl? And so we see this, this, this romance begin to just kind of intermingle together and get played out right in front of us. So in, in chapter 3, Catching you guys up in chapter 3, we find Naomi. And th this is what I love. I don't, I'll, the first point that I want to bring out this morning is that Naomi is plotting for Ruth's joy. I, you, you remember at the beginning of the book when she was bitter? Like we're talking two chapters ago. She is, she is bitter. She is broken and she is bitter. And she was like, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara because I'm bitter. I'm broken. I don't want to talk to anybody. And I've come back with nothing. Naomi standing beside her. She said, I've come back to Bethlehem with nothing. Now, two chapters later, Naomi's up early making the coffee saying, hey, Ruth, Boaz noticed you yesterday. You know what I'm saying? Moms, don't act like you've never done that. You know, moms are scheme. My mom was a schemer. All right. Moms are schemers sometimes. And for most of you, you're like, my kid's not dating until 35. So I, I get where you're at. But, but she, she began to plot for Ruth's joy. And what, the, the first glimmer of hope is that, that even the bitterness and the brokenness that was on Naomi began to break off. Like it, it, just this short few verses. And she goes from a woman who is bitter, retreating and secluded to a house by herself. She didn't even go out. Ruth went and Ruth came back and she was home. She didn't even go out. Story doesn't tell us anything about her wanting to get involved or wanting to engage back in life. She was just kind of existing. Has anybody ever been there where life kind of presses us to a place where we're just kind of existing? We're going through the motions, whether it be in business or at home or in your marriage or whatever it is in life, at work, with your boss, your supervisor. You're just kind of going through the motions. I love this glimmer of hope that you, say, you see Naomi who was going through the motions. She was bitter. She was wrecked and, and attached to this thing in her past. All of, all of a sudden... 
she begins to put somebody else in front of herself. Hey, Ruth. Ruth, I, I want something for you. When the gospel grabs a hold of our hearts, and I, I want to shift for just a moment to the gospel because I, I want those of us that can see ourselves, I see a reflection of myself and Naomi's personality sometimes. We get so consumed with our own grief or our own situation, our own struggle that we forget that there are people around us who need the love and the compassion and the hope of Jesus that lives in our hearts. So isn't it a beautiful thing this morning that if you're in Naomi's shoes, if you're sitting and walking in, in her shoes, that you can see this glimmer of light breaking through the clouds. And today, can I tell you, it can be the same for you. It can be the same for us. So check this out. Mm. The bitter, downtrodden, hopeless souls. Bitter, downtrodden, hopeless souls do not make plans. Women who want to be called Mar do not make plans. But Naomi is making plans. As sketchy as the plan seems to be, I believe she has good God-glorifying intentions with her plans, and we will see this. I want to bring your attention to the next verse where it says, Wash therefore, anoint yourself, put on a cloak, and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. I don't know if you've ever thought about this process, but in 2 Samuel 12, 20, David walks through a very, very difficult season of his life where he sins with Bathsheba and he loses a child. And while he's grieving, um, when he's finally told, he says this, then David arose from the earth. He's been grieving. He's been, he's been bitter. He's been in Mara, right? I mean, he's been in Moab. And listen to what he says. He says, David arose from the earth. He washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. And he went to his own house. And when he asked, he sat down, he ate, and he was nourished. One of the most beautiful pictures that I think we can glean from, that I know we can glean from Ruth chapter 3 is that Naomi and, and Ruth kind of make this, this visible statement. Yes, I mean, she's going, she's going to do her thing, right? She's going to woo a man. You know what I'm saying? She put on her, her Mary Kay or whatever you do, you know what I'm saying, and, and did the eyes and whatever perfume you wear. She got all, she was getting what we would call all dolled up or she was, she was doing her thing. That's what I would call it. She was, she was getting ready. But, but it's so much more than that if you look at the text. I believe, I believe the Lord's allowing us to see this correlation between 2 Samuel 12, 20, where David washed his face and he stood up and worshipped. And Naomi went and she washed herself and she put on perfume and she put a cloak on. You know what she was saying in that, in that gesture? Hey, that, that old life, it really is behind. Old things have been washed away and all things are new. There is a future for me that is bright, with the glory of God shining in me and through me to the world. And listen, if you're that person this morning, and I've hit it hard for three weeks, and I'm going to continue to do it probably every time, every time you ever hear me speak, if you are that person, because I am sometimes, that for, I forget that I've been washed and I've been clean, and I go back to this place of grieving and saturating myself in my past sin rather than my, my current redemption. If that's you this morning, I encourage you, I challenge you, remember you've been washed by the blood of Jesus. You've been washed. You've been washed, man. Isaiah 61.3. Let me read this. David's washing and anointing himself was an outward symbol to everyone around him that his time of mourning was over, that he was going to pick up and go after life. I believe the great nugget to pull from this text is that there will be a day, maybe not today, hear this, not today, maybe not tomorrow, but there will be a day when you can confidently confidently echo the words of Isaiah 61.3. The Lord has given me beauty instead of ashes. 
He has given me oil of gladness instead of mourning. And he has given me a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness this morning. You, if you're not there, when you meet Christ, he will take you there. He will take you to a place where you will be able to say, this life at times have felt like ashes where I couldn't hold anything together and it ran through my fingers like sand. But now, now that I have Jesus, now that I have the hope of the world living in me, man, I've traded all of those ashes for beauty, a garment of heaviness, this heaviness and this cloak of shame. I, I threw it off and now I have a garment of praise. Amen. All right. I want to explain this because it does seem sketchy, so let's just go on and read together. But when he lies down, observe where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. I love through the entire text and book of Ruth, she still, she just flows with humility and with grace. Whatever you say, Naomi. Whatever you say, I'll do. So she went down to the threshing floor. Track with me. This, this is crazy. She went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and she laid down. And at midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman was laying at his feet. And he said, who are you? She answered, I'm Ruth, your servant. I want to stop right there. There's some passion in this text. I don't know if you're tracking with that. This girl gets all dolled up, right? She puts on her perfume and she puts on her cloak. And, and I mean, she's just, right? She, is, she goes and she just watches. And think about this. She watches. I mean, it almost seems like... Anyways, she watches. And he goes, he eats, he drinks, and he goes and lays down. And, and she just comes up. It says she goes softly. And, and I want you to see this story because this is a narrative. This is a story. I want to draw you in with me. She uncovers his feet and she lays down. About midnight, and some commentators, some theologians say that they, that they, that they had sex together, they hooked up. I, I have a defense for that because I don't agree at all. Because Boaz was a godly man, and I'll, I'll show you in just a minute. She goes in and she lays down in the middle of the night. Boaz is startling. He wakes up and he says, who are you? I mean, imagine this. Anybody, anybody ever had that moment at all where you're sleeping and you just feel somebody in the room? You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever been there other than me? Or maybe you're just at your desk and you're working and you just feel like somebody's looking at me. And you turn around and there's somebody like right here, you know. Maybe you've been sleeping and, and somebody's just kind of looking at you. You wake up and they're right there and it freaks you out. And I kind of picture that moment with Ruth and Boaz. He wakes up startled and he says, who are you? And, and, and she says, I'm Ruth. Can you hear the passion? Like, like the stars are shining. It's the middle of the night. A man and a woman are under the covers together, and they're telling each other who they are. You feel that passion. Don't feel too much, but do you feel that passion? There's passion, right? You say, well, man, that's inappropriate. It's in the Word. Get over yourself. Seriously, there's this intense amount of passion, and I love this. See, Naomi, Naomi said this. Naomi told her, Naomi said, Ruth, you go to Boaz, uncover his feet, and whatever he says do, you do. Ruth goes in, she uncovers his feet, and listen, she's awake the whole time. Like, can you imagine the, you know? Like that, that first date, like, awkwardness, like, all right, I'm just going to, I guess, lay here till he wakes up. And, and here's the deal. Let me show you the boldness in Ruth's life. He could have had her stoned. Coming in unannounced and laying at his feet, Boaz could have made the assumption, oh, this is that Moabite. 
She knows I'm a wealthy man and she's just coming after my goods, right? So let's have her stoned because she's just a Moabite like all those other Moabites. He could have jumped to that conclusion, but check this out. Ruth, when all she was supposed to do was lay down, she said these words, I love it. She said, spread your wings, spread your wings over your servant. And that, that word wings there means your cloak. Spread your garment over me. For you are a redeemer. Naomi didn't tell her to say that. I love that, I love that she, she uses the God card on Boaz. Check this out. Because just a chapter before, what did Boaz tell her? You remember last week? You are Ruth, and we know about your testimony, how you've come to trust under the wings of the God of Israel. She was using his God talk back on him. You know what I'm saying? Hey, hey, just spread your wings over me. Provide for me. She was proposing marriage. And in a moment when Boaz, he could have done one of two things. He could have had her stoned, or he could have taken advantage of her. Young, beautiful girl came to him in the middle of the night. Nobody saw him. Nobody knew they were there. Passion was tense, like we've already said. Passions were, you know what I'm saying, hormones were raging. Passion was tense. They knew each other's name. And I love what he says. This is an example to every young man in the building. May you be blessed by the Lord. <laughs> really? You know what I'm saying? It's the middle of the night. This good-looking young girl comes in, lays down beside him, and his response to everything she says, and, and an invitation to marriage with May the Lord bless you. Listen, guys, I, I want to I say this. Because we can be real in church, and if you're uncomfortable, it's probably a good thing, because I am. So we, we're, just, we're together on this. In your personal life, young guys, young girls who are not married yet, when, when the passion gets intense, when the, the stars have aligned and they said all the right things, be like Boaz. Be like Boaz and let your first thought be about Jesus. Say, no, man, I, I, no. I, and I'm not saying Ruth was trying to sway him into sex, but what I'm saying is that if you live in this common, normal, Americanized sexuality, you will be offered and drawn in. Everything we are fed, every advertisement we see is sold with sex and instant gratification. I'm telling you, I'm begging you today. Be like Boaz and make the, make the thing that adds some space between you and whoever the Lord, right? May the Lord bless you, he said. That's the greatest mood killer ever. Can I just say that? <laughs> he said, may you be blessed by the Lord. My daughter, you have made the last kindness greater than, your, in the, greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. This is how I know that there is nothing inappropriate and that they did not walk in fornication. Because in Deuteronomy, even in the Old Testament, fornication was wrong. Boaz looked at her. He said, may the Lord bless you because of your kindness. You are a worthy woman. He established himself as a worthy man. And then he affirmed her. This world tells you the way to be affirmed is to dress a certain way to get certain comments or to, to put yourself out there in a certain way that get guys or girls coming after you to get something from you. This world will try to affirm you with sexual instant gratification, but I'm telling you, there's gratification in the Lord that is everlasting. It's full of hope. So be a worthy man like Boaz. Be a worthy woman like Ruth. Focus on the Lord. All right.
Amen. Yeah. He said, spread your wings over me. We went through that part. Let's, let's hit verse 11 and then go on. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For you, for all my fellow townsmen, know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you good, then let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. I love that. He had so much integrity. He had so much self-control. He was able to look Ruth in the eyes and say, the Lord bless you. Now just go back to sleep to the morning and we're going to have this thing settled. She proposed. He was accepting. He was accepting. Instead of taking advantage of her, he was accepting the invitation of marriage. And I love this. I love this next part. Then we'll, we'll wrap up in just a second. So she laid his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that a woman came to the fleshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, Listen to these words. You must not go back empty to your mother-in-law. Do you remember what Naomi said when she was coming into the city? I went away full, but I've come back empty. Boaz, in the process and desire to redeem Ruth, said, you go back to Naomi because you need to go back and remind her that she's no longer empty. Take all this food back. All this food was a symbol that you're no longer barren. You're no longer hopeless. You're no longer without refuge. There's somebody that loves you. There's somebody that's prepared to redeem you. And he's going to do it with integrity. We'll read this last part and then I want to point you to the gospel. These six measures of barley he gave me and said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. He was messed up, right? He came face to face with the beautiful Ruth. And the offer on the table was redeem me. Redeem me. The picture that I don't want you to grab, the picture that I don't want you to see this morning is that you have to come and beg redemption of God. Or that you have to offer yourself or your work or your perceived righteousness to be redeemed by God. What I want you to hear this morning, the picture that I want you to see from Ruth chapter 3 is that there is a God. There is a Savior. There is a good Lord named Jesus Christ. And we went through this last week and we're going to do it this week and next week. Because this is the whole, the whole meat of this text is that you have a Redeemer. You have someone who is covenanted with you. He is committed to bring you from famine to feasting, from death to life. And now it's on you. He's done the work. He went to the cross. He succeeded on the cross, being nailed and brutalized in our place. He succeeded in bringing redemption to mankind. Now will we? Here's the question. Will we respond in faith with a yes this morning? Anyway, we, still, we still have a Ruth here that, that could have went back to Moab to a lot easier life. But she suffered through hard times. She, she suffered through, through pressing moments. And now she's at this place where, 
where Boaz, this man, is, hey, I'll redeem you. So I ask you this morning, where, where do you sit in this balance? Knowing that there is a Jesus, the one and only Savior of the world, who in his faithfulness gave up everything so that he might have you. The word redeemed in the New Testament, oftentimes when it's used, it's the same Greek word that shows the word picture of being bought off the slave block. He has pursued you. He has loved you. And he has offered redemption, sealed and signed with his own blood. Today, I, I want you to sit. I want you to think for a minute. And I'm going to pray over you. We're going to have time of response. But I, I want you to grapple and wrestle with the idea, have I yielded my life to the Redeemer? Have I come to him and said, anything you say, I'll do. That's where Ruth was. You're my Redeemer. I'll lay at your feet. I'll do jumping jacks. I don't really care what you say. Do I'll do it because you're the Redeemer. So I want you to ask yourself, for the believer in the room this morning, for, for those who claim salvation in Jesus Christ and Him alone, are you living in such a way that says, God, whatever you say I'll do because you're my Redeemer. Whatever suffering I'll walk through, I'll joy in it because you're my Redeemer. And when the passions get hot and when things get crazy, I'll point to you. Because you're my Redeemer. Can I just remind you this morning that you've been redeemed if you're a believer? Your old life is no more. You're free. You know what I'm saying? You're free. You're enveloped in love. You're, you're pursued in kindness. You're worthy in the eyes of the Lord. You're worthy in the eyes of the Lord. You hear that this morning. I know we don't believe that a lot of times, but you're worthy. You've been made worthy in the eyes of the Lord. You don't have to beg for His presence. He is your Father and your friend. He wants you to come close and know that you're redeemed. I want to read this tonight and we're done. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. But I say walk in the Spirit. I want to read this because you may be in that place today. Maybe you're a believer and you know it, but maybe you're in that place and you say, well, I don't, I don't know if I've been redeemed. How do, how do you know? How do you know if you've been redeemed? How do you know if you've surrendered your life to the Lord? I want to give you a good picture of what Scripture says. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. But I say walk in the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these... I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So I want you to ask yourself as we respond this morning. We're going to respond together. We're going to, we're going to sit and sing. We're, Where's your life? And when you look at the bulk of your life and who you are and what defines you, do, you, do you fall into the former or the latter of those phrases? 
Are you dominated and governed by, by sexuality and, and fits of anger or jealousy or dissension or gossip or backbiting? Do those things dominate your life? You need freedom if they do. You need to come to Christ this morning and ask that He redeem you because He's waiting. Listen, if you're governed and spurred through life with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, this morning be reminded of your worth in Him and what He's done for you. Let's pray. God, we, we believe this morning that you're faithful. We believe that you're good. And God, we believe this morning, I, I believe that you are raising up young men, young women, old men, old women who want to walk in purity and in faithfulness with you. Who want to be a worthy young man like Boaz and a worthy woman like Ruth who will push everything away. Who will abandon everything for the sake of the gospel who will say, God, whatever you want, I will do. God, remind us this morning that you are our redeemer and you're our hope. You're the only one that brings us to life. In Jesus' name, amen.